Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Canada's premiers are united and have a list of demands for the Prime Minister. This is by no means mean uh, uh, for us to sit up here and say that we agree on absolutely everything. We have have much work to do across our our provinces, but today what you have seen in an unprecedented fashion is premiers uh, from across the nation, from coast to coast to coast in this nation, coming together uh, to address some some significant challenges. Justin Trudeau attends the NATO summit as the group faces tension on multiple fronts. There's uh, some uh, significant concern about this potentially being derailed, but certainly it's an alliance that has a lot to celebrate on its 70th anniversary. And what should we expect from Thursday's throne speech? I'm told that this throne speech is gonna be a little bit longer than the last one. It's gonna be less focused on change and more on collaboration. It's Tuesday, December 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, the Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Mark. So the Premiers met yesterday in the Toronto area, and despite the fact that there had been, I think we could call it some sniping among the Premiers in the (laughs) past few months over issues like equalization payments, pipelines, and even Manitoba trying to hire public servants from Quebec, and the Quebec Premier (laughs) making fun of uh, Winnipeg's hockey team, all of that, uh, in the backdrop, uh, despite that, it seems like they got along pretty well, and they agreed on a few things, didn't they? I, I think this is going to be the motto for the last month of 2019, as we've all heard our lessons and we're all going to talk collaboratively now. It's been, you know, the first surprise was a, a week or so ago when Doug Ford and the Prime Minister sat down and peace broke out there. And I think you saw the same sort of thing kicking in here. Is I think the premiers know that um, the public appetite to see feuding politicians is very low right now. We, we have our fill of it during the And also, they want a united front going into whenever the first minister's meeting is with with uh, the prime minister at the table. And what they, they don't want is Ottawa saying, look, you guys can't even agree among yourselves. So I think that was a very careful strategy, that, um, even if it meant that they had to rub the edges off or not mention some of the things they do disagree on. Yeah, and I think obviously... A common ground in that they all want something from the federal government. I think enemy is probably too strong a word, but when you do have um, a, a united uh, opponent of sorts that you're trying to extract something from, that can that can use. Yes, as long as politics, Mark, I've never heard provinces so united as when they're asking for stuff from uh, Ottawa. I remember Stephen Harper one of his first early and rare, as it turned out, meetings with the premiers, he joked that uh, that he would never again bring his wallet to a premier's meeting. So um, I, I think, I'm not sure that we didn't see, uh, we saw a bit of talk of what kind of money they went um, on health, uh, for example, and I think we're going to hear more of that. That's again another perennial question and demand from the provinces is more money for health from Ottawa. But um, but yes, the, the tone was interesting and the unity was interesting. What about equalization? Uh, because that, that obviously is a source of tension between the premiers. Is, is, the, is there a sense that they might be able to, to find some common ground on that, work something out amongst themselves, show a united front to the prime minister? Or is their message going to be, we just don't like the current system and it's up to you to figure out something that'll work? 
Yeah, I don't know how far that's going to go. Um, I haven't, I haven't heard. I, I we hear some noises from Ottawa that they are open to the idea of premiers figure this out. Uh, but we've also heard the federal government reminding the provinces, especially Jason Kenney, this was something com- that was arrived at when you were at the federal table. Um, and uh, if you want to fix it, go back. We're open to ideas. So I, I, I didn't get a sense. Um, I, I was listening to an interview with Jason Kenney uh, shortly after the, the premier's meeting ended where he said that they – it would have taken way longer than they had on Monday to get uh, any kind of substantial conversation on equalization going. But I, I do think uh, the federal government is going to leave it up to them to do that. I, I, I think we're, we're just at the very beginning of that conversation. Right. But it seems like there is a sense among the provinces that when there is a, an economy, a provincial economy that's under threat, that there ought to be some mechanism for helping that that province, right? Yes, and as I understand it, some of the premiers also raised this with the Prime Minister when they've had their meetings with them in the last few weeks as well. And I think uh, you get the sense from the language of the communique uh, and so on that some of this is based on a little bit of knowledge of where there's wiggle room with Ottawa. So um, I I would not be surprised if... uh, if Ottawa is open to that, I think the, there's a finance minister's meeting, uh, federal provincial finance minister's meeting later in December, and Bill Morneau has signaled some willingness to talk about this fiscal stabilization plan. It's not something you're going to see the public putting on placards, but I do think that there may be some movement there later this month. Let's talk about health care for a moment, because the premiers obviously agreed that the federal government should give them more money. But I wonder at what point we're, if we're ever going to have a discussion in this country about how to solve some of the challenges we're having with health care uh, with, with more than just throwing more cash at it. And, and the, you know, the, some of the experts on this, uh, again, I've been covering this for a while, too, say that more money is not necessarily the problem. It's, you know, it's endless red tape, it's centralization, it's demographics, it's the baby boom, and it's the lack of pharmacare, which is something we should talk about, too. Um, so, yeah, I, I suspect this is a more complicated conversation than just throwing money at it. And... Um, I don't get the sense we're having that conversation yet, but I think we will when we start talking about pharmacare, as we are inevitably going to be doing. All right, let's turn to where the Prime Minister is while the Premiers have been meeting. He's in the UK. He's going to Buckingham Palace today uh, for a celebration of NATO's 70th anniversary. And it's interesting because... uh, uh, I'm not sure that NATO is at the stage where it's in jeopardy or it's crumbling, but certainly there are existential threats for NATO right now, including Donald Trump. So uh, there there are uh, questions being raised. There are attacks against NATO. The French president declared it brain dead. Uh, there's there's uh, there's a lot going on here. So it's an interesting time to be marking this this anniversary of this alliance. 
It, it, one has to think in three years how much Donald Trump has done. For a, for a guy who doesn't travel much, he will be attending this uh, this NATO summit. For a guy who hasn't made many trips out of the country, he sure has disrupted the world order. And this, um, you hear this from the NATO leaders in advance of this meeting, is we are having these existential conversations because Donald Trump has forced it upon us, uh, including... The uh, the provision in NATO, if one member is attacked, then the others must respond. And I think there is some doubt now whether Donald Trump in the United States is up for that. And, when all, you know, Donald Trump is the same president who isn't shy about tariffs or throwing America's weight around or disrupting that order. And one gets the sense, too, that if... If he feels that other nations are not contributing to NATO, as he felt that, you know, the United States was getting wrong on trade, that that the United States attachment to NATO is in question. Just as, you know, there is disruption in the world order, it is Trump, and we're seeing it happen at NATO as well. I, I expect you'll hear unity coming out of this, because what's the alternative? But... It's another um, it's another way for us to talk about how much Donald Trump is actually changing the world. Yeah, and uh, and I guess it's fair to ask what Canada's commitment is to NATO in the long run as well, because uh, obviously we're a member. The Prime Minister speaks highly of NATO, but we don't meet all of our NATO obligations, including the commitment to defense spending. Right. Yes, and it's not just Donald Trump who's annoyed with that. If you recall, uh, Obama, on his last trip here yeah. uh, to Canada, when he addressed Parliament, he stood in the in the Parliament and said that he wanted Canada to step up on uh, on spending. So this is not a Republican-Democrat uh, thing, and this is not new with Donald Trump coming here, is that, that Canada is being asked to ante up, and it's not. All right, let's turn to the big event coming later this week, the throne speech. What are you hearing about what might be included in it, what tone it might strike, what the priorities of the government will be? Well, the last throne speech, I actually went back and looked because uh, this is very strange and unusual, as you know, and I think we've talked about is the last government sat for four years and had only one throne speech. That's highly unusual. And what I was told then was we didn't need to have another throne speech because there was enough in our platform to last us all the way through. So... Uh, naturally, one assumes that what we're going to see, again, is the Liberal platform, which <laughs> we may have talked about this during the election. To me, their platform looked like it was written uh, by public servants. It was very bureaucratic. It was very short on specifics. Um, I'm told that this throne speech is going to be a little bit longer than the last one. It's going to be less focused on change or uh, and more on uh, collaboration and working with people. And it's going to focus on three big things or a few big things, uh, climate, um, affordability, and uh, healthier and safer communities. I think those are the, the general areas so that you know, it I'm told it's not going to get into huge specifics, but it's going to be more platitudes. And the real throne speech is going to be the mandate letters. 
um, the, the letters that are given to all the ministers, which will come, I'm told, today, um, within days of the, the throne speech. Um, that may be next week. But so expect on Thursday to see kind of something about 2,000 words long or so, I'm told, maybe 2,500 words long. Uh, generalities looks a lot like the old platform. And then for specifics, watch for the mandate letters that go to the ministers within a few days. All right. We'll watch for that. Susan, thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Okay, you too, Mark. That's Susan Delacourt, Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. If we take the bait and start fighting amongst ourselves now, we are handing them the ultimate victory. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At McLean's, Jason Markasoff argues a lot of Alberta Conservatives want a new federal leader. Markasoff writes, at best, after his Friday night speech to Alberta's United Conservative Party, the crowd seemed mixed on Andrew Scheer's future. And if he can't solidly win the room among active Alberta Conservatives in a province that voted 69% for his party in October and whose oil industry he's continually championed, one might ask, what room can Andrew Scheer win? At TVO.org, Steve Pakin asks if social conservatives still have a place in Canadian politics. Pakin writes, A new poll from the Angus Reid Institute seems to suggest it's not a political leader's personal religious values that Canadians care about necessarily, but rather how they deal with the issues that those values raise. Until social conservatives learn how to convince the much larger plurality of Canadians that their beliefs don't present a threat to others' liberties, it's going to be tough sledding for political leaders of faith going forward. At Policy Options, H. Wade McLaughlin argues populism can be a force for good. McLaughlin writes, Increasingly, we see patterns of angry populism, but populism does not need to be angry. It can be a call to come together, to summon and share feelings of community, and to build cohesion or capacity. In this time of angry populism, it is increasingly challenging for Canadians to feel that we are getting ahead but there are real opportunities to enhance prosperity and address key public concerns through collaboration, flexibility, and old-fashioned populism. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Canada's new Indigenous Services Minister will speak today at the Assembly of First Nations Special Chiefs Meeting. He's just one of several federal ministers and other high-profile political figures appearing at the event. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, only several weeks into his new job, Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will speak to the Special Assembly of Canada's First Nations. This AFN Special Chiefs Meeting takes place every December. You'll remember it was the first address that the new Prime Minister, just. Justin Trudeau made to Canada's First Nations. He also made a return visit last year. At 1.30 until 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Mark Miller will speak to the delegates and he will take questions from the chiefs. He's not the only high-profile participant. British Columbia Premier John Horgan will also be speaking, and he's likely to draw praise after his government just tabled legislation enshrining the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples into provincial B.C. legislation. Also speaking will be three other federal ministers, Crown Indigenous Affairs Minister Carolyn Bennett, Justice Minister David Lametti, and the new Canadian Heritage Minister Stephen Guibault. But just to round things out, there will also be a more critical appraisal of the government's progress, or lack thereof, from NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. The AFN Special Chiefs Assembly goes on from today until Thursday. Thanks, Martin. Also today... As we mentioned, the Prime Minister will be in the UK, where he will have meetings with the President of Latvia and the Prince of Wales. 
He will also take part in a discussion with the Prime Minister of the Netherlands as part of the NATO conference. This evening, he will attend a reception given by Queen Elizabeth, followed by a dinner given by the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will speak at the Union des Producteurs Agricoles Annual General Congress in Quebec City, and Governor-General Julie Payette continues her visit to Italy. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, December 3rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.